podcast one production. Automotive commentator and journalist Greg Rust, and this is Rusty's Garage. In this episode, I'm in Blacktown in Sydney's west at the massive pick and pay less self serve wrecking yard and auto parts business run by speedway icon Gary Rush. The man they call the Master Blaster won a staggering 10 Australian sprint car titles while dominating the sport in the 70s and 80s. His decorated career actually spans more than 40 years, and at the height of it, he had a 60% podium strike rate. That is just staggering when you think about it. He raced in other categories too, and you may be surprised to learn that at one point he had serious Formula One ambitions, which seems like the absolute antithesis of the dirt and clay ovals where he became famous. Now retired from driving, the Australian Motorsport Hall of Famer still loves the sport, a dream that began on the other side of the track fence watching on in the stands. Back in them days, uh, it was probably 63, 1963. Uh, we were typical young guys with their uh, first cars and their early model Holdens, lowered and <laughs> black wheels and some super exhaust on them, a Myers exhaust system. And uh, we were there one Sunday afternoon with a mate of mine called John Price um, uh, and looking at uh, the Westmead Speedway and... And we were Holden fans. And the, all these Fords were out there <laughs> winning all these races on the Speedway dirt at Westmead, and that's where the Westmead Hospital is now. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. That's where the Westmead Speedway was. And um, we uh, well, gee, why aren't there no Holdens here? So the next week we went to the local records at uh, Old Guildford, where we lived, and asked him would he give us an old Holden car and... And we're going to take it to Westmead Speedway and race. So you literally built the thing yourself? We put some bar work in it and we put a... We had a hot holding engine with triple SU carburetors on it and all all that hot stuff. And uh, we took it to Westmead Speedway and uh, they were standing starts them days. Were they? Yep. And the, and the holding, nothing could... Come come close to it as far as acceleration. Been my old Fords, they're old V eight Fords, but they couldn't. They, they didn't see which way the Holden went. But <laughs> until we got to the first corner, and, and that that was a problem. The Holden suspension wasn't built to race on dirt. It was built to race on bitumen roads, and them old Fords were built back in the nineteen thirties, and that's all they had was dirt <laughs> dirt tracks. <laughs> and so over the next few months, uh, them old Fords become the glamour car to have. You, the Holdens didn't steer on dirt. Okay. Was the class called stock rods? Is stock that what rods. Stock exactly. Rods. That's yeah. what it was. And I remember the gun stock rod driver of the day was Maxie Hugo. Yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, Steve Brazier's dad, Stan, he was a gun driver up there. Yeah. Uh, that's the Brazier family. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. So they're, and they're, they're still in Speedway. We, we call them nowadays uh, a speed car, but a, but a purist knows them as a, a as midget. A, as a midget. Yeah. When did the – I mean, when you look at your career timeline, it seems like a relatively short period from all of a sudden you were in stock rods to the next thing you were getting opportunities in midgets. Back in them days, to go to the Sydney showground to, uh, as a young guy and never driven before, you have to go in the encourage race. Okay. Uh, they're called encourage race. And uh, they, they, were, they were 
demo derby uh, <laughs> to get through there uh, it's, it's a lot of luck I was lucky enough never have to race in a, an encourage race okay. because my luck come about is I, I got into a midget at Westmead so the midgets used to race at Westmead on a Sunday afternoon in winter yep. and they used to race the Sydney showground in summer yep. well my midget career started at Westmead in, in, in winter and uh, I was lucky enough to uh, I got into a couple of half decent cars and and do a little bit, and then the Higgins brothers come along, and they had a very good midget, number thirty, and they asked me would I drive it, and it was a, it was, and that was when they they the people that the that run the midgets decided let's go American type of qualifying system, yep. and uh, and lucky enough, I sat my bum in Kevin's car and Paul's car, and I was quick enough to be an A grader off the bat. Amazing. So that's for, I never had to go to the Sydney Showground and go for encourage races. I, w- I was uh, uh, because of the American qualifying system. I was virtually a back marker within a short period. The cars now, a modern day midget. You're talking probably, you know, 300 horsepower, fundamentally four cylinder engine sitting in yeah, in front weapons, of you, weapon yeah, weapon yeah, car. Yeah. But a, but a, I would imagine from a driving point of view, they're a joyous thing when they're in full flight. Back then, though. They're also a dangerous thing in the sense of that mm. safety in your before career. Cages. Yeah, they came a long way, didn't they? Yeah, before cages, they were. Uh, um, I remember when I started racing Sydney Showground, and by this time I was racing for uh, Kevin Higgins and maybe uh, the Dark Family. I'm not sure which car I was racing, but you know, and I, I'd turn up at the Sydney Showground, and, and they're all the all the guns there, the Johnny Stewarts and the McGavins, and and I was just a young kid. And, I walked into the gents' toilet one day and they were all there. Having, they were all having their nervous. <laughs> you name it, they were having it. You know, oh, geez, this, this, and that's, you know, they, they, it's just pretty deadly sport back in them days. What were the early learnings for you? Because it's, for those that, don't, that are listening that don't know Speedway intimately, I think it's a, a beautiful sport because a bit like basketball or baseball in America, it all happens in front of you. You can't miss it. It's this wonderful cauldron of... of action right in front of you but as a driver you you have to learn where to place the car at, at certain moments were there people that taught you that how did you learn that sort of stuff you teach yourself mate do you and there's no such thing as practice the practice is in the race <laughs> <laughs> no you just uh you know you think back but when you're fast you know the quick way around yeah and uh, after you know greg i've sat in the infield looking at my wrecked car and said if i only would have waited I've said I've done that many, many times, and you learn by those experiences. I think you crashed one time at Liverpool. Um, your dad, or my dad rather, has done some business with you over time, and for a little bit of preparation for this, I was talking mm. to him, and he could vividly recall a crash at, at Liverpool, I think it was in Sydney, where you'd climbed maybe the rear wheel of Steve Kinsey's car, a legend of, uh, of speedway racing, and you had quite a big crash. And in the interview, might have even been with Mike or Steve Raymond afterwards. You said, "Well." I've now got some very good parts for left over for my next race car and things like that. Yeah, that particular night I got up into the lights at Liverpool Speedway. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a good crash. Yeah, it wasn't the biggest one that you would have. I'm jumping no. all over the place no. here. The one that fans kind of and probably you think of is '79 Ascot in yeah. in America. Yeah. Yeah. You were driving a wingless. Sprint, sprint car. Yeah. What, what happened that day? And you know, how did you? We uh, we'd. Uh, Went over for the Nationals, uh, Eldora, the, the 
what the, the big race at Eldora Speedway and then the, go to Knoxville for the Nationals. Mm. And we run seventh at the Nationals, uh, and, and which was back in them days it was pretty decent just to make the main event. But uh, since then uh, there's been a couple of young Australians have gone very well over there. Um, and we're on the way home. We're going to put the car in a container at uh, LA and... We thought, oh, typical Speedway guys, you know. I had a few people, Ivan Walker and John Barrett, they were all. We're, and we thought, let's go to Ascot Park. Let's go. We'll do one last race, then we'll put it in a container tomorrow, right? That's what we thought. Well, lucky enough, I made the trophy dash. And I was on the front row of the trophy dash, and uh, I went into turn one, and uh, that's all I remember about it. I woke up two days later in, in hospital. <laughs> yeah. Was it, were you in a coma for that that length of time? Yeah, yeah, I uh, yeah, I hit my head pretty hard. I, I, I smashed all my helmet, but but yeah, but I, I I got over. It took me twelve months to get over that one. Sometimes doctors, you can meet a couple of good doctors in motor racing that are that understand the game and and are supportive in that regard. But often doctors you meet when it comes to motor racing will say, "Hey, that's enough," or you know, "Were you ever told to stop at that stuff?" No, I, I remember um, when I raced for the McGee family at, 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 at Sydney Showground. I, I was lucky enough to race in one of their cars one, uh, for a couple of years. And I remember Headley, um, he was like a, um, you know, a, a advisor, great man, you know. Almost a mentor? Yeah, yeah. He used to, you know, he used to keep, keep your feet on the ground a bit, he, he did. And... Um, he introduced me to a doctor because his his workshop was just down the road for St Vincent's Hospital, yep. and, uh, and the doctors used to call in there and talk racing with him and things like that. And he introduced me to a doctor once, and and, and that doctor he said, "Mate, uh, down the road there, we we can just about fix anything except the head." Mm. He said, uh, "You know, you damage it, we'll fix it, but we can't fix anything up here. Mm. We have we don't know about enough about that yet." You mentioned a moment ago Sydney Showground Speedway. These days it is television studios. It's it's not what it once was, but it was an incredible track back in the day. You guys would command a decent amount of space in the in the papers for news on on Speedway. I mean, it was a thanks to the Romans. Yeah, well, that yeah. was my next. That was my next question. Yeah, yeah, they are Mike and Steve. You know, the sport owes them a lot. You know, they really, really kept us up there. Mm. You know, Mike, Mike's got a hell of a, a history and so has Steve as far as what they've done for the sport. And and I, and I, I hope people realise that because they're, they, like I'm getting elderly, but they're, they're elderly, getting elderly and I, I think people realise what they've done for the sport. I certainly do. I, from do. A, I do too. I do. You know, from an aspiring kind of commentator standpoint, you know, you look at what they've done. Out of the blue one night, I was reading news on, on a radio station in Sydney and the phone rang after a bulletin I did and it was Steve. And all he wanted to do was say, hey, mate, great job, keep pressing on and sort of encouragement for a young bloke, you know, and I, I always remember that very, very fondly, but I'm acutely aware, as you say, of what they've, what they've done for the sport. But I come back to the Sydney showground. It was a phenomenal place, wasn't it? And there's so many great races competed there. 
there'll never be another Sydney Speedway. Mm. Not in people like yourselves and your dad, you know, what we remember how the Sydney Speedway was. The, the, it'll, it'll never go closer. You know, I, I had an interesting night, a very interesting night, only a few months ago. Um, the, a few of the people around Sydney had a surprise birthday party for Dennis Newland. Fantastic, right? Yep. And uh, and someone rang me midweek and said, "Would you like? Would you be interested in going to a surprise party for Dennis Newland?" Yep. And uh, um, I said, "Yeah, that that'd be good." And at about that time, there's about twenty five people going. But apparently, every Tuesday night, I think it's Tuesday night, he, he goes out and has dinner with uh, a friend of his at Warwick Farm at a hotel at Warwick okay. Farm. Yep. And uh, so, anyway, that was going to be the surprise birthday party for him. Seventy people turned up, oh, and it only word of mouth, yeah. <laughs> word of mouth. And it was just the best night because we got to say hello to a lot of people we hadn't seen. But then we got Dennis Newland up there, and and you know Dennis, yes. he's just a quite unassuming type of bloke, yeah. and he took questions off the floor. The guy's like a cyclopedia. Yeah. He knows every race that was run at the Sydney Showground. He can tell you who won it, who ran second and third, and what times they took to run the race. He's a phenomenal. And we sat there in awe listening to Dennis Newman. Yeah. And people like him are just phenomenal. He's a part of the, the framework, a long-time journalist and, and, yeah. and a guy who's been um, immersed in the sport, as you, yeah. you rightly point out. Let's take a little sidetrack here for a moment because throughout your career there was some circuit racing. And... Uh, you, in 1971, contested the Formula Ford Driver to Europe Series. Larry Perkins won the championship that year. You won the Phillip Island round and finished top three in the championship, I'm I reckon. Sure I don't run around, but as the year before, Larry come the second year. Okay. The, the first year was funny. There's a good, some good stories about the first year in tell me, Formula tell Ford me. Australia. Oh, well, we all read the rule book and, uh, and, uh, and I went to Waggots and... Uh, I give the rule book to the Waggot Engineering because they're the gun people doing engines. And and the bloke, the bloke uh, Dougie Timot, used to race sidecars. We were here's a cam grinder over at Waggot. Yeah, he said, "Yeah, we could build an engine for you." <laughs> we we all turned up at Sandown Park. <laughs> I think every competitor got the rule book wrong. <laughs> they are hot engines, <laughs> you name it. <laughs> One particular guy, he worked for Mercedes dealer. He worked for a Mercedes dealer and, he, and the, 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 dealer, the, the guy racing the Formula Ford, he was the boss, he said to his mechanic, I'll give you a dollar, a, what was it, a dollar per horsepower per week. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, we could only ever get 86 horsepower. Yep. I think it was 86 horsepower out of our Formula Ford engine. But... Everyone was talking 100 horsepower. And this bloke said, oh, I want $100 a week. That was his wages, right? So he he got his boss 100 horsepower, right? But we went to the second race at Sandown and he went past us going down the straight like we're (laughs) going out of sight. (laughs) They pulled him down. He had hot motor in there. There's some good stories the first, second year. But Larry came along in the second second year. Uh, Richard Knight won the first Formula Ford Championship uh, and uh, went to England and I don't think anyone's ever heard of him before. Well, there's another story there because I followed him over to England. Yes. But uh, but Larry come along in the second year, the Kawanji kid, yeah. and uh, made he was a gun uh, right from yeah. Did you get on okay? Oh, uh, Larry and I did. Uh, Larry, uh, yeah, we did. Um, 
uh, Larry uh, we you know back in them days we had a few offs and different uh, difference of opinions with different drivers and cams would haul you in and and uh, Larry went and give evidence on my behalf on a few instances I got involved with yeah fantastic it is 180 of of the kind of racing that we know you for and for the great things that you've done in in speedway mate so did you enjoy the the whole circuit racing thing and what was the spark that made you think righto i'm gonna go and give formula ford a crack why did that come about well i was a young bloke i wanted to be world motor racing champion so to follow jack brabham and kind of go to formula one i i read all the books and said i, I can do that and and i think every driver that gets into a racing car at that certain age thinks he's going to be world champion yeah right and and I read enough to where if you want to be world champion, you better go to England and get in a Formula Ford. And when Richard Knight won the world uh, first series, yep. I followed him over. I, I think I run, I might have run third or fourth in the series. I think I, I might have run. I, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, but I still had the belief that I could. I was as good as anyone in the world. And uh, I went and I read about this particular Formula Ford. Uh, it was a Merlin Formula Ford yep. that that um, Tim Schenken, yeah. I think, drove okay. and someone else drove it. And I think they both won Formula Ford series in England in this particular car and I seen it for sale. I said, I'm going to England to buy that car. That's the car I have to have, you know, because I was a motor mechanic. I'm going to England to buy that car. So, uh, uh, and I had a wife and a couple of young kids at that stage, and but but I had enough money to save up to get on a plane. I, I, I went over there, and uh, but before I got there, Jody Schechter had bought the car, and he won the Formula Ford Series. <laughs> right, yeah. he won the Formula Ford Series in that same Merlin okay. car. Right. So, uh, on that, anyway, what happened was. Um, I got off at Heathrow. This is quite a funny story, I'm told, too. Well, Richard Knight's supposed to have met me there. I've never been to England, and it was summer here, and it was, uh, it was summer here, yeah. summer here, and it was bloody cold over there. And um, and I got off the plane with a T-shirt on. Uh, anyway, uh, Richard Knight wasn't there, so I had an address. I got into a taxi, and he drove around for a half hour and charged me twenty quid. And I said, oh, okay, and that's the address, so that's where Richard's supposed to be staying in that house there. And I seen this plane take off, go across the top, and I said, where's that? You were still at Heathrow. I was still on the other side of Heathrow <laughs> after 20 quid. <laughs> so anyway, I got the first taste of England, I got ripped off for 20 quid. But anyway, um, Richard opened the door and said, oh, Gary, I'm sorry, I forgot to meet you, rah, 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 rah. And um, then he said, well... Oh, gee, the, I had a room for you, but that's taken. Um, but I know another place I can put you in. So he took me down the road. I think I stayed with Richard the first night. The next day he put me down the road and put me in this convent in England. Uh, it's a church and a convent, and it was full of expats, Australians and Kiwis that didn't have a cent to bless themselves with and they couldn't get home. They just... And I was... I had, I, I, I had a bit of money in my kick and... Um, <laughs> I, anyway, long story short, Richard Knight had just bought a Formula Ford and he wasn't a motor mechanic so I helped him. Yeah. I helped him put it together and... Um, 
and uh, so I worked there for a few days and then I going home to this horrible place to live for night time and and um, uh, I met Vern Schupen. He was the boss of um, uh, a Formula Ford manufacturer building palaces. Pa- pa- I think that's the name mm-hmm. pronounced, palaces, racing cars, and uh, Vern was the boss. And and you'd walk in there and you'd see 50 Formula Fords getting built with all these blokes that want to be world motor racing champion, and Richard Knight was one of them. And, but... Um, so that was uh, interesting, and then I just happened to um, I happened to ring a, a friend of mine from California, Larry Burton, yep. who was a, he'd raced here, and I, he's like a big brother to me, and um, uh, I rang him and he said, "What? Uh, where are you at?" And I said, "London." He said. He said, what are you doing there? And I said, freezing to death. He says, oh, it's 105 degrees here at uh, Roseville, California today and that sounded good to me. He said, you better get over here. Uh, and by this time I'd spent about four or five days there and my plans because the car had been sold and and, and I remember going to a racetrack with uh, Richard Knight yep. just before he raced his car uh, and a, a, a place called Fruxton. Yes, uh, yes, and and I here I was changing gears in the back of his Formula Ford in the snow, <laughs> and, and so things weren't work going too well for me, I tell you. But anyway, well, I remember going to Richard's first race at uh, uh, Brands Hatch, mm-hmm. Brands Hatch, and um, uh, I think Richard got punted in the first corner. Um, but but we had to get there at five in the morning, five in the morning. In the dark? Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember stepping out of... He, he had this old Volkswagen combi there with the Formula Ford in the back, and I remember getting out of the car, and I, next thing I'm on ice, I s- slip A over Turkey. Uh, it was ice on the ground. That was London, and when you come from Sydney with this beautiful weather we have here in Sydney, <laughs> snow and ice doesn't <laughs> go down too well with me. That phone call to uh, America... Did you? Am I right in saying that because things perhaps hadn't hadn't gone as smoothly as you expected in that um, journey to the UK and and the like, that you literally jumped on a plane and went to the states? Did you? Um, the next day, the the next day, Vern Vern was very good to me. Do you know Vern? He's a lovely bloke, lovely bloke. Him and his wife Jan, and um, they they. Uh, they could see I was kind of homesick and nothing was going right for me. And they said, come home for dinner tonight, stay at our place. By this time I'd already booked my flight to America. But I did and it was a lovely, it was just lovely to stay with them that one night yeah. and Vern run me to the airport the next day and on the way there stopped at Brabham's and showed me Brabham's factory and, you know, it was, it was, it, it, things were starting to turn around. I was only there for maybe five or six days yeah. and uh, things were starting to turn around but that by that time I'd already made plans to go to the States and, uh, and, that's, and that's, you asked me how did my career turn. Yeah. What happened was Larry... Burton picked me up from San Francisco, and I'd, I told him. Oh, by the way, Vern had uh, 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 won a, um, the first Formula Atlantic race at Brands Hatch in a Palliser racing car. He, an Australian guy, won the first Formula Atlantic race at Brands Hatch. Right? When I got there, um, I 
uh, I, I told Larry on the phone what Vern had done, right? He picked me up from the airport. We're driving up Highway 80 to, uh, to Sacramento. And he said, uh, Gary, uh, I've got your sprint car ride at my track. On He owned a racetrack in Roseville, California. He says, you're racing on Friday night? I said, really? He said, yeah, I've got a sprint car ride for you. And um, he said, I just thought I'd show you the local paper, the Sacramento Bee. It was a, the local paper. Yep. And he said, just happened to read the sports page. And there was a photo of me racing at Roseville, California this Friday night, Gary Rush, just beat Jackie Stewart in a Formula 2 race at Brands Hatch. (laughs) (laughs) True. And I said, Larry, you can't can't say things like that. That's not true. He said, these dumb yanks wouldn't know the difference. (laughs) Details. So that's – anyway – that's Larry Burton. Anyone that knows Larry would would laugh what I just said and know how true. Uh, 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 that's that's how Larry Burton was. Larry Burton was like a big brother to me, and I always said if he wanted to be prime, uh, if he wanted to be president of the United States, he could have been. Amazing. It was that type of bloke, you know. I love it. I love the side stories, and and also too the the journey to England. There is something that. Uh, people that listen to the podcast may not have been aware of, and and we're going to get Vern on for a chat at some point. I mean, his own career has been remarkable. What he's uh, achieved in in world motorsport. Before we move into the whole um, American uh, and and significant sprint car chapter um, for you, I want to just touch on a couple of the the midgets um, to begin with. Firstly. I reckon my dad can recall meeting you for the first time at a, a Caltex garage in Auburn in Sydney. My place, first place of business, yeah. Your first place of business. Yeah. Tell me about that. Uh, well, I, I worked for Sutton's. Yeah. Uh, I served my time at Sutton's Holden. Apprentice mechanic. Uh, Apprentice mechanic, yeah. And uh, after seven years, uh, uh, my old boss, Les Vag, who uh, was a, yeah. just a beautiful man, uh, he could see what type of person he'd work me out, and uh, he <laughs> and he gave me the best advice I've ever had in my life. Which is go. I, I, I was on. I never had, grew up with dad, you know. So my mum used to try and keep me on the straight and narrow. But but Mr. Vag, he said, Gary. After a few, you know, he said, we love you working here, but he said, you need to go and work for yourself. He said, you resent authority. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, now that you've just started a racing career, because they're my first sponsors. Okay. Only a little bit of money, but yeah. they were my first per- sponsor I ever had. Yeah. And he said, now that you've started your racing career and you're starting to make a name for yourself, you're going to need more than wages. And that was, uh, I, I, I went out and found a service station, a brand new service station in Auburn, and, uh, and that's... My wife and I opened up there in business. Business. Dad says he was, I think, in his um, in his early twenties, and he walked past, and you had, I think, was a Joe Brandler speed car that you'd bought, and he recalls a bit of a a kind of short, not terse, but a sort of short conversation with you. You damaged the front end the night before, and you're a bit filthy with yourself. You're a bit annoyed at yourself for damaging. <laughs> you, you, you always are until you get it fixed. <laughs> what was that car like, and what are you? And, uh, it was a beautiful little car. Yeah. That was a time when um, uh, I'm trying to think. It's too, 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 you know, I, I wanted by that time I was, I was an established uh, speed, uh, yep. midget driver, 
and uh, I wanted to do well and uh, I guess the Dark family come later. I must have left the Higgins brothers and, uh, and I was looking for a better car to drive and, uh, and that one was for sale, so I went to Adelaide and bought it. Amazing. Did you enjoy, because you'd had that apprentice background, did you enjoy doing the prep on it yourself at, at that start? Yeah, I had some good people around me back in them two days, uh, or them, them early days, uh, was John Price. Yep. Um, he was and with you for a good good 10 years or more, wasn't he, I think? Uh, yeah, well, he left uh, Sutton's at the same time as I did to come and work with me, and we worked together for many, many years, and, and then John Barrett come along and took over from John Price. So, so I had two very good mechanics uh, doing all the hard work. It, look, it, it, when you go racing, you need the good people around you, and, and I was very lucky to have that. Yeah. I think when you look back over your career, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, um, Barrett's a great friend, mate, and in so many ways, isn't he? And he's been with you for such a, a long period. And when you would walk into the, you know, as a kid when I was walking through Parramatta or now what it's called, Sydney Speedway there, he was a figure that was always a constant in your, in your, you know, the group that were around your car, wasn't he? Well... I don't think there's many race car mechanics around that's got a winning record like John Barrett. Mm. You know, we've, well, I, I had a pretty good record, but then he, he, he was, when Shots was racing for us, you know, all them wins that he had. Uh, John's a very good, hard worker, good thinker, very good thinker. Ivan Walker was in the mix as well, and I reckon I saw one TV interview where someone asked him about you, and he said, when it's going right, he's terrific. But if the night's going to custard, if it's not not going well, you're you're a bit of a tough bastard too, aren't you? Is that a is well, that a? It was always his fault. <laughs> <laughs> and any any good race car driver, it's not going faster. It's a mechanic's it's fault. fault. <laughs> He's going to have a sip of his cup of tea, which is great. The big powered um, sprint cars would be the most successful chapter of your your career, mate. Yeah. Um, and I want to try and get your recollections of the first drive of a sprint car that you had in the United States. And if memory serves, it was in the early 1970s. What was the track? What are your recollections? And, and was was it Gary Patterson that was involved in helping to tee that up? When Burton took me to Rosal, um, he, he called a day and it was kind of... Um must have been on the Thursday or something. He said, I'm going to have a bloke come and... Because Larry had a bitumen track. And a high bank quarter mile track. They used to do ten seconds a lap or something, right? And uh, he said, "That is nuts." If you just stop and soak that in for a minute, yeah. yeah. And anyway, um, he said, "I'm going to have a guy come along and show you how you should drive these high bank tracks." Well, GP turned up, and he said, "Right, that's good." And Gary had a long day down his two shoulders, and a typical hippie, and. and he said, right, okay, we're going to show you how to drive. Who's got the beer around here? <laughs> but anyway, he's done, he'd do a few laps, I'd do a few laps, and by after a couple of hours I, I had it pretty down pat, you know. He, he's quite a character in the sense of a, a couple of things. I mean, he, he um, very well educated, if that... if that, if that he's, I think his brother was a state senator. Amazing. Yeah, he'd come from a very well-educated family, yeah. And yet he was... The wayward oh. one, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you know, if you knew GP, like he, he's a nice bloke. Everyone to look at him, you'd, most people scared to look at him. But no, he was a gentle soul. Describe for the audience what the sensation of driving the car was like. I mean, if you were to tell someone that doesn't know Speedway now about 
the cars. I mean, they're they're an amazingly addictive thing, I think, in the sense that you have nowadays, you know, what are we talking, sort of 800 horsepower or... or they're up to... Uh, not, not heading towards 1,000 horsepower now. Heading towards 1,000 yeah, horsepower 950, now. 960 horsepower now. And you, you sit on it, you know, for terrible description, but it's a bit like you're sitting on a on a dunny with the engine right in front of you, 900 to close to 1,000 horsepower nowadays. I mean, and you need the wing to work above you, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they don't work without a wing. They're designed around that wing. Uh, no, the best car in the that, that You asked me uh, 20 minutes ago what turned my my career around was uh, or how, well, what changed was driving a sprint car. Was it? Driving a sprint car in the States on a half-mile track. How did it feel? Give me a sense oh, of that sensation. Sensational. Yeah? Uh, they built a drive under it and they just... <sighs> You know, I, I've taken, uh, you know, see that photo on the wall there of Larry and Russell there standing there. I took them to Parramatta Speedway to try to get them to experience the, the, the joy of driving a sprint car. But unfortunately, uh, on a daytime track, this, the track's never good enough to, to get that excitement. But uh, driving a, a good sprint car on a good half-mile track and or a good quarter-mile track is really, it's... You haven't driven a race car until you drive, drive a sprint car. The picture that you're referring to has Russell Ingle, who's been a supercars champion and Bathurst winner. Larry Perkins, a, a legend, and yourself. You're all part of the, the Castrol family there, which was mega. So there's an example of two guys that have that have sampled it from a different um, area of, of motorsport, if you like. Greg Murphy, Stephen Richards, they've driven them. I know Neil Crompton and Wayne Gardner speak about it mm. as well. And for circuit racing guys, when they drive them, they all talk about the way that, that to begin with, when you when you first go out of pit lane or out of the pit area, I should say, at sort of low RPM and things, if you're not concentrating, it almost wants to fire you right into the wall. But the moment you unleash that throttle, it all comes to life and it, it wants to turn left and do what it was designed to do. They're amazing, aren't they? They, they don't steer good until they're going fast. Amazing. Yeah. No, they're good to drive. Yeah, I seriously, uh, you know, and that, that that particular photo you're talking about, I, I was a bit disappointed uh, because I was trying to get Larry, because Larry's that, he's an engineer, yeah. thinker, and, uh, you know, I would have loved to have him there on a, a night time when the track's right. Yep. And then he, you'd feel the the thrill of driving a sprint car. Yeah. You know, it's it's just a phenomenal race car to drive. They are. Um, I just wish I still had eyesight. I'd still be racing one. Racing is about having all the elements perfect, right? Yeah. Uh, and um, I think you once said in an interview that you kind of had the the easy job, but uh, it's about the team of people around you. I mean, we've talked about Price there a minute ago and Ivan Walker and John Barrett and things like that. But you you all were renowned for the meticulous preparation, good engines, done right. That, that is your nature, Gary. You won't win unless you've got the best. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, you know, I think I had the best mechanic that, and I made sure we bought the best cars um, you know, I used to have a if Steve Kinder races, that's good enough for me. Yeah. You know, and that's what we had. We, we uh, and you, you, if you haven't got a good engine builder, you, you know, he's a very important part of a sprint car team. Am I right in saying that you were the the first person to 
import a sprint car to Australia. The game was different here uh, in the country at the time. I think was it was it kind of super modifieds that were the main main well, thing. Modifieds, and, and what happened, Mike? Because he it was promoting Liverpool at the yeah. time. Um, you know, Mike was uh, probably one of the best promoters around. Mm. You know, and uh, he brought Johnny Anderson out in a sprint car yep. uh, with a cage on it, and. Uh, um, and Johnny Anderson was just unbeatable. He made us look silly. And apparently um, Sid Hopping was going to buy the sprint car when Johnny uh, finished. And I, I, one day I got a phone call from Mike and said, are you interested in buying Anderson's sprint car? And I said, what, what's Sid doing? And he says, oh, it's not going to happen. And I said, yeah, I'll buy it. And that was, you know, that, that phone call from Mike you know, done a lot for my career. And for the sport too. I mean, it was a game-changing oh, moment for the country, it, it, wasn't it? It was. It, you don't get me wrong. It was just, well, look at what sprint cars are like now in Australia. And that was the first one racing in Australia. But we had our, uh, there's people against it. And naturally, yeah, that's what happens, you know. Because that's changed. That, what that had, when they, they made me put a clutch in it. It was just horrible. It's, it, it's, uh, it's like cutting a thoroughbred's leg off. <laughs> you know, they made me put a clutch in it. I had to go and race at Adelaide and I had to show them that it had a clutch in it, which I did. We made a clutch for it. I built a clutch, designed a clutch, and unfortunately I towed my car to, all the way to Perth to race over there and it lasted, the clutch didn't hang on and I drove all the way to Perth for nothing. I'd done two laps. <laughs> But uh, no, it was terrible what they, you know, they tried to stop it happening, but you can't stop something like that. You mentioned about the, the service station before and, you know, the fact that promoters were eager for you in that example you gave to come into state and to race for them and things like that. What were the cars you were using to tow them back then? What were the family vehicles? Oh, haven't I got some stories about that? Go, tell us. Tell <laughs> oh, I don't know if you haven't. Look, um, we were going to, uh, the, 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 they had the Craven A Midget Series. Yes. And uh, the grand, the, the final was in Adelaide, the Riley Park. Yep. Uh, so we decided, uh, it was Kevin Kevin Egan's car, 30. And we said, oh, well, let's go down for that race. And I said, yeah, right. Well, what are we going to tow, tow it with? And back in them times, Stuart, Johnny Stewart had a, 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 a what was it? Brand of car, um, uh, big V8. Um, oh God, I've got a memory blank. Big V8 car that that. And I said, oh well, let's borrow. Uh, let's. And one of my customers at the service station had one of these. Um, uh, what brand of car was it? Big V8 car it was. And I said, like a GDHO or something. No, no, it wasn't that elaborate. It was something the uh, Studebaker. Okay. Studebaker oh, okay. uh, Lark was it? Studebaker Lark or something? And I, I asked my customer. I said, could you lend me your car? I wanted to tow a race car to Adelaide. And he said, <laughs> he said, yeah, of course you can have a lend of. He said, but you need to put tyres on it. So we did. We put some tyres on it, and we filled it up at the. Uh, the service uh, at my own service station, uh, and I hired I hired a guy to run my service station for three days while we're away. So w- we fill her up. We're heading towards Adelaide, <laughs> and we get the razor back, uh, which uh, the UMI way the, the freeway wasn't in them days. We get the razor back, and she's on empty. What's going on here? Well, all the way to Adelaide, we're getting six miles of the gallon. 
<laughs> and I was, <laughs> I was going broke. But anyway, uh, so anyway, uh, we stopped at Wagga and we said, there's something that would be wrong. We so went to somewhere and see if they could uh, tune tune this Judy Baker lark up and they couldn't find nothing wrong. Then we stopped at Bow Rannell and said, something has to be wrong. It was, it was going for a feel like it was. <laughs> but anyway, we got to Adelaide. I was broke by the time we got to Adelaide. Anyway, uh, we run, in the race, we run fifth in a Craven A state round, right? On the way home, what we found out why this Judy Baker wasn't, we, we put tyres on, but that that. Too high, too tall a tyre, and it's high geared, and it was labouring all the way to Adelaide. That's why I was using fuel because uh, on the way home it started running, so we backed off the throttle, and all of a sudden we're getting half decent economy again. But anyway, um, the the crunch came when when the check came in the mail. One dollar twenty cents only. Prize money check you took. <laughs> the prize one dollar twenty cents only. And I said, I'm not cash of this. This is a good story. So I kept it kept it in my wallet. And I remember going to Brisbane, I don't know, a year or two later, sometime later, I'm not sure, and Frank Arthur was the promoter up there. And, uh, and, and by this time I'd started to make a name for myself and they were starting to give me appearance monies and things like that. And, and um, I went to Frank Arthur's um, office to get my appearance money and... and um, uh, somehow the, the ad, I told him about my $1.20 only. I told him the story. He says, I'll give you 10, I'll, t- I'll give you uh, 50 bucks for that check. <laughs> I said, what for? He says, because every time a competitor comes in here asking for more money, I'm going to tell them your story. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be like the example. I love it. I love it. Fantastic. No, no I didn't sell it to him. I kept it and I forgot what, what happened to it. We lost it somewhere. weigh approximately 640 kilograms, including the driver. When combined with power outputs of over 900 horses, it gives them a power-to-weight ratio comparable with a Formula One car. But you drive them on the dirt and sideways. The achievements that you've had in sprint car racing are phenomenal, statistically. I mean, just... I'm the, very happy with it, yeah. you, should, you should be. I mean... When you first started out, clearly you enjoy the, the competitive element and, and was there ever a moment of doubt for you that you, you couldn't make a career out of it at, at any point? Oh, when I first started, yeah. when I went to Westby we as a stock rod driver with a hold and I kept on rolling over all the time. I thought, these blokes got something that I haven't got. I really didn't think I had the ability until uh, one day uh, just uh, uh, Donny Fortune uh, uh, and Clive Sevenoaks, they said, we're taking our super modifieds out to this track out near uh, Dural. We're going to run them around. And that was the first time I'd ever sat myself in a, a car that you'd put into the corner and it'd steer good. It'd con- control slide. You, could, you couldn't control the slide on an old FJ Holden, the early model Holden. And uh, that's when I got that feeling with Speedway. That addiction yeah, that, that, you, yeah. that you like. You, the competitive side you really enjoy, don't you? Yeah. It's life, isn't it? Mm. You, you know, you, you hang around with shots and he's a competitor. Yeah. And I, I think I was 
Oh, I, I wish I was good as him. He was, he, he, mate. He's one one in a million. That mm. bloke, but um, he hates the world. You're talking about Donnie Schultz, the American, yeah. who's yeah. who's an amazing racer. If you're competing against you, you're the enemy. You're the enemy. <laughs> but uh, but no, I. Uh, well, you race. You you race to win, mate. Mm. You know, when you look at Formula One today, it's it leaves me a little bit cold. It, uh, you know, uh, but Formula One's not a sport. I've been involved in the sport. Formula One's a business, I think. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I just, um, if you're going to do something, you do, do it properly and try to do it as good as the next bloke. You, were you an intense guy on, on race night? What was Gary Rush like? Oh, yeah, I think I was, yeah. People... I, I used to worry. You can walk through the pits, and if you said hello to everyone, everyone said, "Oh, look at that big head." And then if you walk through the pits and said nothing, they'd say, "Look at he, he, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't make him happy." So I used to say nothing. I used to, I, I used to get to the pits. I, I, you wouldn't see me walking around talking to other people at the pits because I, I just, you're there to race. You know, you're not there to socialise, you know. Is there a title in the many <laughs> that you have won in your incredible career? Is there one that you have a soft spot for that is, is you know, close to your heart? No, I've done everything I wanted to do. And, mm. You know, but it took me a while. Mm. It took me a long time before I won my first title. Mm. And uh, But Larry Burton used to keep my feet on the ground. He said, when you're ready, you'll win it. And when I did, I started winning a few. Mm. Yeah. But um, no, nothing's. Uh, uh, I the World Series is. It come along. Uh, I was, I was quite instrumental in the early days of World Series. Um, I um, a guy in Victoria. I was at Warnable one year, mm-hmm. and a guy in Victoria come and knocked on my motel room and said, can I talk? And I said, yeah, and I'm trying to think of his name. And he said, why haven't we got a sprint car series in Australia? And I said, I'm not sure. Mm. I'll, get his, I'll f- figure his name out. And he, 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 he's a bloke they should. Um, David, um, I'll, I'll think of his name in a minute. And he said, and then anyway, I, I couldn't answer his question. And uh, then a few days later, he called me at work, and he said, "If I call a meeting with all the influential people around Sydney or Australia to have a meeting in Sydney to discuss why isn't there a series, a race series for sprint cars in Australia, would you attend?" Mm. And I said, "Yeah, I would." Mm. And uh, sure enough, he put it together, and we all met at a hotel at. at Sydney King's Cross up there mm. and um, we all sat around I, you name it they were all there Bob Kelly from Queensland oh, just everyone was there the, the, the blokes that meant mm. meant something in the sport and um, that's how World Series was formed that day and what happened was um, uh, we discussed why we need a series mm. And probably the only black was against it was Mike Raymond because he knew he was going to lose all his drivers, uh, stars. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he'd, he'd, he'd spent years building these 
stars to race at Liverpool and um, and, and this series was going to take them stars away uh, from, from his track. But um, anyway, all we all agreed to uh, uh, put a series and I said, well, look, this is not the first meeting I've been to talking about the future of our sport. Mm. And what we do, we sit here and talk about it, but when we go back and go to work on Monday, we forget about it. Mm. We need to appoint a manager today and his job on Monday morning is to start putting this thing in place. Start putting a series together. Mm-hmm. But first of all, you can't do that without money. Mm-hmm. And I said we uh, and we sent it around the table and we I think we put about 50 60 grand together just to show our hands. Yeah. Um I think there was $2000 a share. And a, a, a good friend of mine had just got hurt in a sprint car in, in Victoria, he's in, in a coma in a hospital in Victoria, so I bought a share for him, Chris Taylor. I'm not sure if you remember Chris Taylor. Um, I bought a share for him and we all put in uh, about 60 grand and we said, right, who's going to run this? Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a lot of money back in them days. And, um, and John Hughes had just finished up as a co-promoter in Adelaide and he's sitting right beside me. I said, John, Put your hand up. <laughs> this is a good job for you. Put your hand up for this job. I hit him in the ribs with my elbow and said, take this job. You're just a man to do it. And you did it. That's how World Series started. Amazing. And, uh, and John done a fantastic job, seriously. Um, him and I had a few disagreements, but that I was the first driver to get fined for uh, uh, for an infringement. Were you? I wasn't on the track. I was late to the pit meeting. <laughs> that is very unlike you. <laughs> well, we're racing in Melbourne this particular night, and I I got we're in a motel near the airport. The track was further away, and I was I was twenty minutes late for the drivers' meeting. <laughs> And no one told me about it until after I finished my heats and I thought, oh, I think I should be starting up pretty close in wherever I was starting. And, and I was down the back or something and I thought, what have they done to the points? I was, they deducted points. <laughs> I, I was trying to grab John's throat. <laughs> but anyway, no, he done an excellent job. Promoting, as you know, mate, is a, is a very... Difficult thing, isn't yeah, it? I mean, and, and, and as you and I sit here now, the, you know, we could both probably drink glass half full and, and and wish motorsport generally well, but it has its it has its challenges. And Speedway is in in so many ways, mate, it is like a best kept secret. I, I, I wish things were better in, in many ways. And I, I know that's not an easy one to resolve or answer, is it? Look, I, all my racing career I just wanted uh, our sport to be recognised and uh, you know, to, to but it, it, it is what it is. It's a, it's a, you know, the guys in Struggle Street. That that's what we are. Mm. You know, we we make up a small, um, but our venues, uh, our venues are not as good as they should be. Mm. See, Perth, Quinana. When I when I first seen Quinana, I think Quinana's twenty year old now. Is it? Yeah, I can't remember. Yep. When I first Quinana, seen Quinana, I thought. If they can do it in Western Australia, mm. we can do it in New South Wales. Mm. We need a good track like that in New South mm. Wales. 
And that's why I got into the promotion business here because uh, I believe um, um, to make our sport great, to better than it is, or to get that recognition that we're talking about here, is you need good venues. The venues yep. and then the, the racing's fantastic. You, you, yes. you take someone to the speedway and have a good sprint car race, you won't. That's racing. Mm. You know, it's, it's, you won't get a more enjoyment than that. There were rumours, maybe, I don't know how true they were, but there were rumours of you being involved in, in perhaps something that would be at Eastern Creek or in that precinct that would be like Quinana. What can you tell us about that? Um, well, uh, that's, that's uh, you know, I've been around on this earth for a long time and you know that land is getting valuable. Yes. Parramatta's life, one day, mm. they can't afford to have a speedway there. Mm. It's, you know... Mm. Um, we don't want that, but you're, you're thinking, yeah. The lands department control that land mm-hmm. and one day that's too valuable to have a speedway there. Mm-hmm. Um, the state government want all motorsport to be at Eastern Creek mm-hmm. and um, what happened was uh, Brian Healy and his partner uh, had Parramatta. They, had, they owned the lease. Mm-hmm. Um, Unfortunately, Brian was a good mate of mine. I took him to the States in 1971 mm-hmm. and that's where he fell in love and lived there many years after that. Um, when he passed, um, I went to spoke to his um, partner, Bob Spence, a very successful businessman in California, mm-hmm. and um, we negotiated a deal to buy Parramatta. So I went to the state government and at the time it was a, a Labor government and Kevin Green was the sports minister mm-hmm. and you wouldn't find a better bloke than him, uh, a, a really good sports minister and a good bloke for the community. You know, it, it, um, I went to him and a sp- mad Speedway fan too okay. and um, he's very close to the uh, Skip Jackson, his yes. family. Yep. Uh, he knows them very well and um, nice bloke. And um, I went to him and said, look, I need $3 million to uh, buy the lease off this American businessman. And he come back and he said, Gary, I can't give you the $3 million. He said, but you go and get investors, raise $3 million, get that lease, and I'll promise you a new speedway at Eastern Creek in two years. Whoa. That's what he said to me. So I went around and I got we we got uh, a, a, there was first there was four investors and then we made uh, Peter Addo was the fifth investor mm-hmm. and and it was uh, and our whole point of um, none of the people sure making money is one thing but the whole point of doing that was hoping we could get a new speed with Eastern Creek mm-hmm. that's that's what I done it for yeah. and. Um, uh, because I seen how Jimmy Reed got the drag strip yes. from the state government, mm-hmm. and and what I found out is uh, the guys who who done all the hard work getting Jimmy. Don't get me wrong, Jimmy Reed done uh, drag racing knows Jimmy Reed a lot. With that Western Sydney drag. Yeah, race. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If it wasn't for Jim, they wouldn't have one, right? Um, but um, they. Um, uh, Jimmy, I, I've known Jimmy for years and years, and and he said the bloke that helped me get this drag strip was a, a guy called Byron Patching. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so I 
got in touch with Byron Patching. I said, you better get your bum into my office and we talk about let's get in the speedway. So he, he kind of mapped out how you go about handling governments. Yeah. And he said, right, you, you know, and he, blah, blah, blah. anyway, um, Kevin Green, the sports minister, one day rang me and said, I said, could you and your partners come to an office, my office in Sydney? I want you to introduce you to a guy. So well, we went in there and he was the boss of the lands department, the boss. And uh, he said, "We, uh, I want to buy this speedway off you. And uh, we all had, by this time, by this time we, we'd realised that, uh, look, having four partners is not easy. Yes. It's yeah. not easy. Yeah. But it was going along good. It was this, this partnership was going along good, but it was starting to get a bit, mm-hmm. you know, having four or five different opinions is not, not good for any business. But anyway, um, he uh, said, I want to buy the spare off you. And we thought, oh, beauty, good. And then... I said, but we didn't buy the speedway for financial gain. We bought the speedway to get a new yeah. speedway at Eastern Creek. He says, oh. He said, well, you know, I'll go and have a look into that. And he was going to look into moving us out of Parramatta mm-hmm. and putting us into a new spe- And we said, we want a turnkey speedway before we release the, mm-hmm. release the release at Parramatta. Yep. Turnkey Speedway. We want it finished, yep. everything. That was the deal. Finish one and start yep. the next one. Yep. yep. And um, he said, right, start, I'll start up. Let's let's make it happen. And what they did, they wanted to put a, an air ambulance, uh, a helicopter, uh, an air ambulance service at Parramatta Speedway, mm-hmm. and they're going to spend $300 million or something because... Uh, it's, and, yeah. uh, if an accident happens here, they want to get a helicopter. That accident, it's the, the traffic's, you know, and it's yeah, a, very centrally located in Sydney. Yeah, right? and then they had that helicopter uh, avenue. I think the airwaves are yep. only helicopters can fly in certain parts of Sydney, mm-hmm. and uh, so they they thought they're going to build, but we wanted a speedway at Eastern Creek, and uh, it was that close. And uh, why did it not go ahead? Oh, unfortunately, the bloke was not a bad bloke either. Um, he was on the front page of the newspaper, him and a government minister, oh, no. and um, and he had the decency to ring me and tell me, I'm sorry, very sorry, Gary, you've obviously read the papers, um, but uh, we, and that become a problem. So freakish timing, just yeah. what you... and and then the next state election, the Labor got voted out, and Kevin even lost his job, and we'd put about four or five years work into it. Amazing, uh, and um, yeah, we were very close to getting the new speedway at Eastern Creek. Sad, sad. Mm. Let's talk rivals for a minute mm. during your career. When you were driving, who were the guys that made you bristle? Ah, oh, well, it was always George. George Tatnell. Yeah, you know we so missed. He was him. a Hollywood sort of character. Oh, he? he's just that flamboyant type of bloke, and he, he, you know, the sport misses him. No sport needs blokes like him, you know. But uh, as a rival, yeah, we had a lot of arguments, but 
I think he respected me and I respected him. This Steve Brazier, he was my competitor. If you want to race in Perth, you better race against South Babagillo. Yep. Uh, if you want to race in Brisbane, you had to race against the Kellys. Uh, who else? I'm probably forgetting people. If you want to race in Adelaide, you better race against Bill Wigsell. You know, all great people, people that have done their bit for the sport. You know, because of its its kind of American origins, that there are moments in Speedway where blokes have shaped up to one another to to iron things out. It does it does happen. Instead of that, yeah. Well, that was my next question because it it happened with you and and Sid Moore and. It ended up, I think, going to court, didn't it? it got, so did it get settled? One of them got settled in court? That's one. Two, there's two Sids, Sid Hopping and Sid Moore. Uh, <laughs> well, tell me, tell me, go one at a time. What well, happened well, with Sid each? Sid Hopping was the one, but because that was typical, Mike. Uh, when you went to Liverpool Speedway, you had to beat Sid Hopping. With, and Sid's a lovely bloke. He really is a lovely bloke, but in the car he's just, Anyway, he's a no. He's a lovely well, bloke. I can't imagine you shaping up to someone. I can't. Oh well, <laughs> someone put you on the head in the first turn. It was just. It wasn't deliberate. It was just stupidity. Yeah. You get a bit angry. Yeah. You know. That's not the style of racing you enjoy. You enjoyed the the whole. Let's go wheel to wheel, but not. Yeah. Yeah. There's a photo getting around. It's the best speedway photo you've ever seen. I, I believe that's because I'm in it. Um, there's a, George and I at the Sydney Showground. Okay. If you ever find that photo, go and have a look at it. If he's not, if you don't think that's close racing. You know. What are you in there? Are you both in midgets? Both there? in midgets, yeah. Midgets. Yeah, no, it's very good. Yeah. It's a good photo. Look it up. Will do. Righto. Sid Moore. What happened there? Because I from what I can gather, you 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 got off on was it was it on the basis of the fight took place in the pits rather than the track or something or other? What happened there? Uh, I owe a lot to Sid Moore. Okay. I owe a lot to Sid Moore. He he gave me my first Australian title. Yep. Um but anyone knows Sid, he can he can make you up. He can make you wild. <laughs> He's just the way he is, and, and no one's ever going to change him. Um, somehow or other, uh, I was racing for him. I was successful in his cars, and um, then I left him and went to uh, race for someone else, Jack Mags in Victoria. And I think Sid always re- held something against me. And one time in Adelaide. He deliberately tried to run into me, missed and hit the fence and rode himself off. And uh, two weeks later, we're racing at Newcastle. He didn't miss me this time. He got me and I was in a brand new car and I wasn't happy about it. You did go and compete at Bathurst on more than one occasion. So let's talk a little bit about about Bathurst. Was the first experience in a GDHO Falcon and what year was that? Um, Phase two, uh, 70. 1970. Yeah, what was that whole experience? Uh, excellent. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, uh, I had met up with. Well, here's my first Formula. Uh, he owned my first Formula Ford, Brian Burt. Yes. Um, uh, it was a good story. Um, uh, I was over at uh, uh, Waggetts mm-hmm. getting my um, yeah, engine so done. Yeah. My engine done, and and Gary. Um, oh, gee, was is a Mercedes Benz dealer in in in, in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a tragic story to that too. Uh, this Gary, um, oh gee, I wish I forget his name. Uh, he said, "Have you got a sponsor for this car yet?" And uh, because I own this Formula Ford, I was getting this Formula Ford built by uh, Bowen. Uh, this uh, uh, Bowen's we're building Formula Fords, and uh, 
He said, you got a sponsor for this car yet? And I said, no, I haven't. And I, I, I had about six or seven grand tied up in it as, as, as my worldly wealth. And um, he said, I think I know a bloke that might sponsor you on this. And I said, really? <laughs> anyway, uh, he rang me and said, um, here's a number, give him a call. His name's Brian Burt. Yep. He's got a Ford dealership at, at Wollongong. Yep. And um, uh, so I rang him. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, Gary. He says, uh, yeah, no, um, would you like to come and come down and meet us? And I said, oh, I'm leaving the office now. <laughs> and he said, oh, it's a, bit, it's a bit foggy down here today. Maybe you shouldn't. I said, that won't worry me. That won't worry me. <laughs> and on the way down, on the way down, I was, I was thinking to myself, now, I've seen these sponsors before. All they want to give is a pint of oil or, or, yeah. or something. I said, there's no way he's going to get me. I've got all my money tied up in this car yeah. unless if he buys me a spare engine, he's got me. Okay. He can put his name on the car. Yeah. Well, I went down there and, and we met each other and uh, and uh, he said, oh, well, um, and he showed me around his dealership and he said, we've done this. I've only been here a year, I think about a year or so in the dealership. Uh, I've done this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and, and you know, as, as you do, you, you kind of made a, taking a mental adding up of how much money he spent. I thought, jeez, yeah. And then he, uh, we, we went back to his office he said, well, what does other people do in this case? And I said, well, there's a, there's a team in Victoria, Bib Sewell, yep. Sewell Ford, and Bib Sewell was a famous Absolutely. Australian racing driver. He's got his own team and he's got two-car team and, um, and he's got his own truck that pulls him around. And, and he said, well, why don't I buy your car off you and we'll get that team going and you just come and drive for me. Fantastic. I'm driving home thinking, am I dreaming this? <laughs> <laughs> and and that's how the, the relationship started with Brian Burt. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was very good. It was what, very good. Iconic car to race at the mountain too. What were your first well, recollections happened, of that? What, what happened was he, he bought my Formula Ford, yeah. but he'd raced a, a car uh, at Bathurst in... 69, mm-hmm. and that's what he got the bug, okay. right? He said, we raced a car at Bathurst last year. We really enjoyed it. We're going to race another one. And would you be interested in, well, you can race our Formula Ford for us now that I've bought it, and now we'll go to Bathurst in the uh, the GD Falcon. Uh, and uh, that's what we did. That was my first, uh, and then uh, that was in 1970, the Phase 2 Falcon. Great era for the sport at that stage. The, was the track for you, you know, it's, it's an iconic thing now. Oh, it's, it's a, a major racing. sport. Yeah. It's a racing track. I mean, you, you, I've been to Bathurst, oh, I don't know, 10 times now probably. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure how many times. Not, well, it wouldn't be that many times, but you don't race the other blokes. You race the track. And I, 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 I think I've driven home from Bathurst every time saying that track beat me again today. Really? Oh, yeah, it's a racing track. That, that, that and Phillip Island, you really have to know what you're doing. You had a top ten finish there and, and there was a point with the RS500 Sierra Cosworth where you, you were tempted, I think, if I'm I'm right here, to maybe do a two-car team or you were going to get serious with it at one point. I got very serious with uh, the Sierras. Uh, I was nearly going to buy one. Um uh, I um, I was lucky enough to um, Valvoline before Castrol come along. 
valve, I got to know, we're buying a bit of oil off the cow Valvoline and I got to know the boss of Valvoline and somehow we, we struck a pretty good friendship going and um, he, um, what happened? Ray Lintot. It was, was a Sydney car dealer at the time. I think he's, he's gone, to, gone yeah, to heaven now. Yeah, yeah, I knew Ray uh, as a car dealer. Uh, he got a Dick Johnson Sierra mm-hmm. and um, I think we put Valvoline sponsored it mm-hmm. and they, um, I think Valvoline put up 25 grand for, for me to have a drive. Fantastic. Um and we, we, Ray was in it, I was in it, and uh, a good young bloke, oh, a, a little bit younger than I was, I suppose, he was very, very good. He was very fast around there, trying to think of his name. And um, he was quite a bit quicker than Ray and I, mm-hmm. but when it came for me to drive it, I put it in the sand, I put it at the end of the pit straight, I put it in the sand bunker. But um, it was a fast car, but, yeah. but I, I wasn't that good in that. They're, a, they're a, a, a really different machine in the way that they deliver their power and do things like that. I mean, it's a it's one eighty of a sprint car to begin mm. with, isn't it? But it's yeah. that, uh, that that was a. I've always said if the two fastest cars I've ever driven was a sprint car and one of them. Is that right? Yeah, it, they're a pretty fast car. In the early eighties, a bloke by the name of Steve Kinser would come along that you would have a, a good friendship with and, and great races with um, in. Global terms, if you were to draw a parallel, I mean, his his success is admittedly in a different field, but but better than a Valentino Rossi. I mean, he's done some remarkable things over time. When you first came up against him, did you know straight away this this guy is is good? No, we didn't know. We arrived at Knoxville one day, and I was with this famous mechanic over there, Ken Woodruff. He, he made his own name over there. Him and I went racing at Knoxville together, and. Uh, and he said, uh, uh, he said, hey, buddy, he said, see that young blonde bloke over there? He's starting to make a name for himself. That's when we first bumped into Steve Kinzer. But uh, in the next 25 years, he, he became the biggest, well, he's the greatest racing car driver that's ever lived in America, I think. Yeah. You know, he, he, no, no, there's no driver in, Amer- in, a, in the world can got a winning record like him. Mm. And the next bloke that's coming is going to follow him as shots. Yeah. You know, but Steve Kinzer was just, they call him the king, and he was the king for since 1980 until he only retired uh, three years ago. That's a long era time to be on top. Yeah, his record is remarkable. Yours in Australia, mate, is special he, talent. Mate. Yeah, but but I, I want to shine a little bit of a light on yours just for a moment because I'm not. There are days where I don't know if you fully. Um, I know you know what you achieved, and you worked enormously hard to do that, but. But the reaction still from fans to this day to what you did, I mean, does it – you power on at work here. We're sitting in your office as we record this and, and, and um, you're in your, you know, your 70s but you're working as hard as a young bloke from what I can see. Do you stop and take it in and think about what you would choose? I, I went to Warnable this year yeah. as, as a first time as a non-competitor. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. Fantastic. I really – you know, I've always went there and then there as a competitor. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it this year. I could sit back and I realised what a lovely town Warrnambool is. I've never seen that before mm-hmm. and I've been, been going there since 19-whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but some of the fans and some of the people you, I bumped into, 
they just and you sit back and say, "Gee, um, wow, they they what you mean to them." Yes, I used to say that about Brock. Yeah. I, I only met Peter on a on a two big times times that we spent a bit of time together, yeah. and I come away thinking. He doesn't realise what he means to people. You thought that really? Yeah. 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 He was just a normal bloke. Mm. But people idolised him. Mm. You know, probably people knew him a lot better than I did, but, mate, I can only speak very well of him. Mm. I'm pleased you stop. Uh, you stopped in that sense at Warnable and kind of took stock of it and, and Yeah, I, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed some of the people would what it I guess my career meant to them, you know, yeah. yeah. You would eventually stop and, you know, we can recall the, the send-off, coming in in a chopper and all that sort of stuff, but was it was it difficult to stop, Gary, and what was the ultimate uh, reason? It took me six years. I, I, I believe six years. I've always said six years. Six years to get over it, to get it out of my system, yeah. I, I, I remember taking my son to Perth mm. to race, and I, I, I remember getting in the race car to do a couple of laps mm-hmm. after I retired, mm-hmm. and I'd done a few laps, and I and I sat there, and I, and this might sound silly, and I hope people don't think how stupid it sounds. I think I was put on earth to drive a sprint car. Yeah, you know, I just loved it so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most people would agree with you, mate. I mean, mm. it's, it's you know, I greatly admire in life people that latch on to a thing, whether it's golf clubs or tennis or whatever, and pursue it. I'm always amazed at the at the way they get to that point to find it. But when people like you find it, mate, and then go and have, you know, just the most massive career and to to know that you clicked with the thing that you were meant, clearly meant to do, I mm. think enormously special. Well, that's not enjoying England. I went to the States and drove a sprint car and that was... Meant to be. When I drove... Uh, it's pro- I drove on a bitumen track the first time. That wasn't that exciting. But once I got on a half-mile dirt track, mm. that that finished it, you know. Mm. You haven't driven a race car until you drive it on one of them tracks. We'll talk in a minute about what you're doing now and there's some phenomenal things that you've shown me around here today that, that you are doing in post-race life. But you did dabble briefly with NASCAR and the Thunderdome and, and, at, uh, at Calder Park there. You have to correct me if I get this quote wrong, but I, I think at the time you said to John when you pulled up after the first laps in the car, you said words to the effect of, if this is motor racing, I don't want to be a part of it. Why... why was it did the NASCAR not suit you? Was it a, a frightening thing to drive? What was it that, that you didn't perhaps like at the time? And correct me if I'm wrong there. Bob Jane built Calder. Yep. He wanted to uh, make it successful. Yep. I had a, a high profile in Speedway. Uh, I think he asked John Shepard, and I knew John Shepard from many years before uh, when he worked for Ron Hodson. Um, and John Shepard said, would you like to drive a NASCAR at the opening meeting at, at Calder? Yeah. I said, why not? Yeah. Um, 
so they had a day, a, an, an outing, a day there, and oh, they they treated they treated like a king. They flew in a helicopter, you know, I was <laughs> big time. I was big time, <laughs> but um, we uh, went out there and drove a few few laps and different things. But then they sent me a, a new car, and they said, right, we're going to send you up a, a, this car, and you try to put it together and and come down and race in the opening meeting. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, look, I've I, I got no proof of this. Yeah. They, Bo, uh, I think Bob Jane said to Goodyear, send me all the old tyres, NASCAR tyres you have. Mm-hmm. And they probably, they probably had thousands of them. Yeah. Uh, we can't afford new ones. Oh, sorry, we can't afford... You know, they're probably stocked up with NASCAR tyres that are probably two or three-year-old that they never use again. And so Bob Jane brought them to Australia and put them on all our cars. Well, they sent they they, they sent some guns out. Uh, 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 couple, I'm trying to think of their drivers that the the, the, the Americans that won it. Um, um, uh, gee, what's it? Uh, Neil Bonnet. Yep. Neil Bonnet and uh, and uh, one of the two brothers that, that were here. They, mate, on race day they made us look silly, and I think they brought their own tyres. Oh, really? Because our tyres were two and three year old, and they like like being on a skating ring, <laughs> mate. I I had two spin outs prior to the race, yeah. practicing, and. I kept it off the fence. I didn't bend, bend the car. The second one, I was backing up to the fence and I left enough room for a car to get through. And thank God the bloke was coming at me, got through there. If it would have been anyone else, I reckon they would have went, drove straight through me, but it was Jim Richards. And he, <laughs> and he was a <the> master. Yes. <laughs> he... He got between me and the fence. I don't reckon anyone else could have done it. Wow. And and that's the memory. And and I come back into the pits and John Barrett said, you're white. I says, I'm scared. I'm scared to death. <laughs> but these cars just don't handle. They just don't handle, yeah. right? Mm. So we're scratching our heads and saying, oh, what do we do, what do we do, what do we do? So a, a friend of mine, a good a, a friend of mine, he goes and gets Neil Bonnet. He goes and taps him on the shoulder. He said, mate, we're having trouble with this car down here. Could you come down and could you come down and maybe give us some tips yep. on what we're doing wrong? And Neil, and by this time, Neil Bonnet, he had the he had busted bones, but he walked down with a limp. Nice bloke. And he said, what are you doing here? He said, oh, let's do this to this car, let's do this to this car, rah, 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 rah. And, and he said, mate, let me do a few laps in it. So he does a few laps and he has a spin out. And he comes back and uh, he said, yeah, well, you could do this, you could do I said, yeah, mate, you spun it out. He says, oh, just making you feel good. <laughs> <laughs> just making you feel good. <laughs> and and then, then he said, he said, he said, I know, I, 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 I know of your name. You're a friend of Jack Hewitt's, ain't you? I said, yeah. He said, well, yeah, you're a sprint car driver. Yeah, well, everyone knows Jack Hewitt. 
Well, let me tell you about these cars. He says, compared to sprint cars, even when they're good, they're still shitty. (laughs) (laughs) Compared to sprint Sprint cars. cars. And that's what he said. In the office where we sit here now, there is, I'm pleased to say, a bit of memorabilia from your career. I mean, you were inducted. Them ones up there I'm pretty proud of. You should be. Hall of Fame induction and all all sorts of things from an incredible career. But you have... A little bit like Marcus Ambrose, who I spoke to recently for the the podcast series. You I have met him, I met him. At, uh, I met him. Uh, where did I meet him recently? At Warnable. Yeah. He was at Warnable. Yeah. yeah, that's where I met him. Yeah, he um, he still in, enjoys it. But like you, he's you know given away some of the things either to to charity, and you've done some great things for like the children's hospital and stuff like that, mate. Over time, with your helmets and some of the the memorabilia, haven't you? Um. I was, uh, my wife and my family were blessed to have twin girls with my daughter um, 21 years ago and um, they were born three months premature and uh, at Penrith Hospital and uh, I I know what Jodie went through um, prior to giving birth and um, moving around to, you know, one day she'd be in this hospital and another day she'd be in this hospital because they only had... um, uh, these um, humor cribs yeah, yeah, for babies. Yeah. They only had so many of them. Yeah. And, and they wouldn't, if they had a spare one there, that's where they'd send her. And, and, and then all of a sudden that would be taken. Then they, she have to move to another one where there's a spare humor crib, right? And um, anyway, after my granddaughters were born, they, they were very tiny and miniature and, and, um, and I had a shed full of trophies. So we sent them to the spur, we auctioned them off and raised a lot of money and we donated that money to the, um, half was to the, um, the, the Westmead Children's Hospital and half was to Penrith, Nick Wood. Hold on. Um, just to see if we can get some money happening for the hospital for these, uh, these little humour groups. Well no, mate, great, great initiative. We are at Pick and Pay Less in Western Sydney, in, in Blacktown. In the podcast, we talk about cars and bikes and things that, that people that have either raced or, or owned are, are passionate about. But one thing I've never discussed is about what happens to cars in at the end of their life, if they're not restored or kept or something along those lines. Recycling is a massive thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's... Uh Around the world, yeah. uh, you know, we we sell a million new cars a year in Australia, yeah. and uh, we recycle uh, two hundred thousand cars in New South Wales a year. That's amazing. Yeah, and um, the car life is, uh, you know, when I come here 20, 21 years ago, uh, the average life of a car was fifteen years. Mm-hmm. You know, you could drive around a car fifteen years old and not feel that bad, but now. You know, the average life of a car now would be under 10 years, I think. Okay. And so, you know, them cars are going to be uh, ELVs, that's what the industry calls them, end-of-life vehicles, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a massive industry, mate. So you have here, if people want to come and, and repair their own car, you know, they can come and acquire parts from, from some of the, mm-hmm. the wrecked cars to begin yeah. with, don't you? There's a, a massive well, stock, if you like. We're, we're in the western suburbs of Sydney and uh, it's uh, we have quite a, a large number of people come here every month mm-hmm. uh, repairing their own cars and we cater for them. At, uh, but also we've uh, just recently, uh, in the last three years, branched out into a, 
recycling in a bigger way in, in as much as recycling in the scrap metal industry yeah. and uh, spent a lot of money doing that and uh, it's never been done in Australia. What I'm doing here, it's never been done in Australia before. I, I've seen it happen in uh, South Korea. There's one company over there in South Korea doing it and uh, similar to us. And uh, But, I'm, you know, I don't want to retire at this stage. I, I, my wife would like to, well, I, th- I think she'd like me home more, more days than, than I am, but um, uh, I still want to do things. What you've done here is... Um Impressive, mate. Very, very impressive. And the the thing that stands out for me is that that you, in the green world that we now live, which is which is so important, particularly in the in the whole automotive industry. At the end of that car's life, you are able through some very clever processes to to recapture lots of aspects of that car and 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 separate it, put it into a, a reusable state, don't you? Uh, we've uh, we got recycling down to uh, about uh, here in Australia. Um, it's probably twenty uh, percent of it waste. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in Japan they 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 got it down to about ten percent. Okay. Uh, but but as this new company of mine um, uh, grows, uh, we'll, we'll get we'll get it down to that. Uh, There's equipment coming out all the time for recycling, just separation, separating all the plastics and all the metals from all the cars. We're not finished. We're only, uh, we're only in the first stage of our recycling, uh, but in another year or two's time, it'll be a nice operation. For me, there is a, a tiny little, little tie in here. My father worked in the, the hydraulic game. Mm. You um, did some work in, in this sort of area to begin he, with. He built a machine for Ron Wanless and I back in the 80s. Wow. Mm. Like, a, like a crushing machine. Uh, a, a car baler. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's come in that time frame since you've worked with with Ron Wanless. The the, the whole industry and that the scrap metal industry has become a, a hugely successful thing in this country, hasn't it? Um, huge, it's huge. It's it's run by the big companies, but we're a little company. But I'm lucky enough; I have a very a good partner mm-hmm. in the scrap business, yeah. um, and uh, he's a, a very go ahead. Guy that um, he's he, he because of recycling he he, he knows about everything. Okay. There's not many things he, he he can sit at any any table and talk about anything, and uh, he's very very well educated, very interesting bloke to talk to. The the knowledge he has on anything you want to talk about, mm-hmm. and uh, recycling has got into his blood too. You have been flat out in in your career, mate, and since the the bug bit to the enormous amount of uh, achievements that you've done uh, both here in Australia and, and even the things you did in America, I think, are uh, remarkable. Will you slow down? And if so, when when, when will Gary Rush slow uh, down? I, I enjoy very good health. Uh, I, I've been married for a long, long time and uh, my wife looks after me very much and, and, and I owe my good health to her. She makes sure that I eat the right foods and I get the right sleep and, you know, she, yeah, she's, I've been married 54 years now. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. Very, I was very lucky. Congratulations. Thank you so much for spending some time and, and chatting with me and I was chuffed to be at the very first Hall of Fame dinner and to someone reminded me very recently of this that, um, you know, Mark Webber got up on stage that night and... 
He's someone who really appreciates all different levels of motor racing. You and I nearly, we very nearly got him into a sprint car at yeah, one, one yeah. point at, at, at uh, Sydney Speedway there at yeah, Parramatta. Yeah. He loves it and he greatly appreciates what, what you've done. But I know he singled you out in the in in the speech. I mean, you know, for, for the Weber family when they were growing up and watching Speedway, he was... Um, in Canberra. In, yeah, exactly. And, and that to me underscores when the industry like that, not just because of you being inducted into the Hall of Fame, but when, when the constituents stop and say, hey, what this bloke's done is is uh, is incredible. Yeah, you, yeah you, it was good to hear that. It's good to hear that, yeah. But let me say something about you. Mm-hmm. You know, congratulations on your career too. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew your dad and he used to come to the Speedway and I remember one Friday night he come <laughs> along in the Speedway. I reckon you were 15 if that, <laughs> if that. And he introduced me to you and I said, what are you going to be? What are you going to do? And I, I, I was expecting you to tell me I want to race a car, but you said I want to be a motor racing commentator. And here you are, one of the best. It's been awesome all these years later to um, to walk down memory lane with you, to celebrate um, an incredible career um, and well done on everything. Thank you very much. Cheers. Well done, you, Greg. Cheers. Well done, mate. Rusty's Garage is recorded for Podcast One. Written and presented by me, Greg Rust. Series producer and editor is Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. If there's someone you want me to talk to on Rusty's Garage, get in touch on the show page at podcastoneaustralia.com.au. To listen to more episodes, search Rusty's Garage Podcast. Listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the app. I'm Greg Rust. Enjoy the drive, but drive safely.